the exertion, the effort, the aching body, the scattered mind, all of it is put on pause when you finally reach the top of the mountain. You put your pack down and you're stunned. Looking out over the expanse below you, your eyes take in the splendor. Your heart marvels at the majesty before you. You feel fully alive. These mountaintop moments, they're actually few and far between. In normal life, we get sick. In normal life, we go through seasons where we lack joy. We feel the effects of aging. But deep in our bones, we long to feel close to God. Even if we don't know him, we long to be struck with awe. And so, we keep on searching. Looking for the next breathtaking, stunning place or experience. We think about our graduation or our wedding day. We travel and we pursue new experiences. And then Monday comes. We get back to normal life, the mundane, the recurring, the ordinary. We long to feel stunned and maybe Maybe we've forgotten, or maybe, perhaps, we never knew that we could be stunned through the ordinary. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul shows us something supernatural, yet expressed in the ordinary. As stunning as the mountaintop experience, but visible only as it's displayed through something that God produces. And this causes us to marvel every way we look at it. It's called faith. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to be stunned by God's special working in them. And so he communicates stunning faith so that we would be stunned by God's supernaturally produced faith. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 1. We'll be focusing on verses 2 through 10 this morning. And while you're turning there, let me fill you in with some context. Thessalonica was a strategic natural harbor. It was on an important trade route. And it was home to about 100,000 people. Now we know from Acts chapter 17 that Paul had been there in the past and spent at least three weeks preaching in the synagogue there. And by God's grace, a number of Jews and a great many Greeks, along with not a few leading women, came to faith in Christ. When it says not a few leading women, 
By contrast, we should be thinking a lot of leading women came to faith in Christ. So there's a significant population of Christ followers now present in Thessalonica. But God's work was not without opposition. Jews from Thessalonica were jealous and started a riot and dragged some of these new converts out in front of the authorities and made accusations against them. Paul and his colleagues were sent away by these new converts at night to flee the city. But in the months that followed, Paul would send Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the local believers there. And he came back to Paul with a mostly good report. But in this letter now, Paul is addressing a real church with real issues. First and foremost, though, he wants them to be stunned by God's work in them. Please follow along as I read verses 2 through 10. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This morning, I want you to see three stunning aspects of God-produced faith. I want you to see that God-produced faith is personally displayed, powerfully delivered, and publicly dispersed. So firstly, God-produced faith is personally displayed. After introducing himself and his colleagues, Sylvanus and Timothy, Paul dives right into this letter by giving thanks to God for all the Thessalonians through prayer. The language of always and constantly doesn't indicate to us that he was praying at all times. We know that he was sowing tents and praying for other believers and preaching sermons, for instance. But clearly, this language helps us see that he was focused on praying for them at times. And Paul and those who were with him would regularly pray for the Thessalonians, giving thanks in our prayers, he says. So you imagine that they would be spending time gathering together and praying for 
the Thessalonians, but also the other places where Paul and those with him had done ministry. Notice also that they are praying to our God and Father. Paul is drawing attention to the uniquely intimate and personal only true God. This this is helpful for us, but it's helpful and it's particularly relevant for them because they lived in a pluralistic society, meaning people around them worshipped many different gods. Dionysus, Asclepius, Aphrodite, Demeter, Zeus, Egyptian gods. There were some who were participating in the Roman imperial cult as well. All of these kinds of religious experiences would have been prevalent in the city of Thessalonica. But he says, our God and Father. This points us to the personal, the familial God who loves, who it says elsewhere in scripture, delights in giving good gifts to his children. So what is Paul remembering? What is he mentioning in his prayers of thanksgiving to God? The supernatural work of God displayed through the Thessalonians' work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. Each of these three activities, the work, the labor, and the steadfastness, they proceed from the virtues, the faith, the love, the hope. That language proceeds from, I think is really helpful. And so each of these phrases could equally be read, work that proceeds from faith, labor that proceeds from love, and steadfastness that proceeds from hope. This supernatural working of God is personally displayed through the Thessalonians' work of faith, the work that proceeds from faith. This means that their whole lives, their whole lives were energized by faith. Their work is motivated, produced by faith. James in chapter two, verse 26 says that faith without works is dead. Clearly, Paul is stunned by their living, productive faith. But we still wonder in our hearts, if we're honest, can't can't people who don't love God, can't they do good things? Can't they do good works? But Paul isn't talking about ordinary good deeds that anyone can do. What Paul is stunned by is supernatural. Paul is looking at these works that set them apart from the idolatrous people of Thessalonica. Not only are they set apart from the people around them, but they're set apart from who they used to be in the past. Their works distinguish them as those who have been saved. They give evidence of the faith of these saints. Paul is also amazed by their labor of love their labor that proceeds from love. Now this love is toilsome. It's tiring. It's difficult. 
It's wearying. You won't hear Beyonce singing a song about this kind of love. This is not a kind of love that the world knows. The world knows about romantic love. The world knows about familial love. It knows about personal affection. But these are all based on the object of the thing that is love, that it is lovely or that it is beautiful or that there is love being given in return. They're conditional and they're limited. The specific word that Paul uses in this context is agape. That is a love that stunned Paul as it was displayed by the Thessalonians. This is a distinctly Christian love. As one commentator put it, this is the love that springs from an unconquerable goodwill and persistent desire for the welfare of the one loved. Now this love, friends, was supremely demonstrated by Jesus when he went to the cross. In his torture, through his humiliation at the cross, we see his unconquerable goodwill and his persistent desire for the welfare of sinners. We may not know exactly what this kind of love looked like as it was demonstrated among the Thessalonians, but it certainly included a love for God and a love for others. The persecution that these believers face would afford them the opportunity to display a radical, Christ-like, self-sacrificial love to one another. Even as they were being persecuted, they would continue to share the gospel, the only hope that the surrounding people would have in life or death. Paul was further stunned by their steadfastness of hope. Now, when we think steadfastness of hope, I wonder if our cultural lenses might be getting in the way. As Americans, we tend to be captivated by rugged individualism, by grit, the kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So when we think steadfast hope, we might be thinking strong hope. We might be thinking, hmm, tighten our belts. We might be thinking, sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed to weather these crises. But it's not about our own grit. It's not about tightening our belts. It's not about the strength that we muster up to seek to be resilient in the face of hardship. That's not what Paul is stunned with. Paul, Paul is stunned with God supernaturally working in them. And he's working in them steadfastness that proceeds from hope. The Thessalonians were steadfast in the midst of obstacles and persecution and trial. Those very same things are promised to you if you're in Christ. You will face persecution of many kinds. But there's good news. We take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. (sighs) 
Look back at verse three with me. Notice that this steadfastness of hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Whether we're fighting against sin in our own lives or we're facing faith-based opposition, it's not personal aspiration that's gonna keep us going. It's the certainty of the deliverance that the Lord Jesus has accomplished in his resurrection. And it's the full assurance of what he will accomplish on judgment day. That is where they were able to remain patient and steadfast in hope. Through their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope, God's amazing work was personally displayed, not not in a flashy show, but in the regular, ordinary lives of the Thessalonians. There's an author by the name of Rosaria Butterfield, and she was in the past an outspoken lesbian activist and a professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. Now, she writes about how God supernaturally worked through the ordinary display of faith of a local pastor who shared the gospel with her. And God in his grace drew her to saving faith in Christ. She now no longer lives in a way that she used to. Her friends who are unbelievers still, they don't understand or affirm her lifestyle now as a believer. But she continues to write compellingly and honestly explaining the hope that she has in Christ and laboring to proclaim the gospel in her home and through her writing. The stunning part of this story is the faith of the pastor as it was personally displayed and the faith now that Rosaria demonstrates as she continues to to display faith. Now, we can find ourselves impressed with wild, radical testimonies, with beautiful church buildings, with well-put-together programs. We get impressed by the number of people that are in the room, by impressive marketing campaigns, but Paul, Paul is impressed by supernatural displays of faith evidenced through ordinary obedience. God, friends, God is delighted in ordinary obedience. When was the last time you expressed praise or appreciation for the supernaturally provided Faith that results in ordinary obedience in someone else. Can I encourage you that if, if you see someone personally displaying faith in a God-glorifying way, would you thank God for them? Would you allow yourself to wonder in amazement at God's supernatural work in them? We've seen that God-produced faith is personally displayed. Now we consider a second stunning aspect of faith. God-produced faith is powerfully delivered. Let's read verses four through six. 
For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. What Paul knows and the next thing that he's giving thanks for is that the Thessalonians are chosen by God. Notice again the warm and familial language, him calling them brothers. Like the reference earlier to our God and Father, this reference of brothers is identifying them, the Thessalonians, with God and also with him. Now, I think reminding ourselves of Paul's background helps us see how this is a stunning display of faith powerfully delivered because Paul was a Pharisee. He was a member of the religious elite. He followed God's law to the T. He would not, because he was a zealous Pharisee, he would not have even wanted to enter into the house of a Gentile because that would have made him unclean. And now Paul is calling them brothers. He highlights also for them that they are loved by God. What an encouragement to those who are being abused and rejected for their faith in this pagan city. These Gentiles are chosen by God. And how does he know that they're chosen? Each of the following phrases serves as a piece of evidence for us that their faith was powerfully delivered as God had chosen them. We read, because our gospel came to you not only in word, pause, the gospel, the message of good news about God's free salvation through faith in Jesus Christ had come to them. If this is evidence of God's choice of them, then the gospel must come and it must be proclaimed to people in order for them to hear it and believe. Romans talks about the beautiful feet of those who bring good news. And those people who bring good news, they have to be sent. How can somebody hear unless somebody tells them? And how can somebody tell them unless they are sent? And how can somebody be sent unless other people send them? The message of the gospel has to be proclaimed. And God's appointed means for that is through words. When you see the word only, not only in word, that word only is an adverb. And it tells us that the gospel fundamentally came through words, but not only through words. I don't know if you've heard people say this before, but I've heard people say, and I don't, sometimes I feel like I know what they mean, sometimes I'm not sure. People say, let's show the gospel. As if they're expecting that somebody could come to saving faith in Christ without understanding their need for rescue from sin. That must be communicated to them, either through verbal or written proclamation. The gospel is shared through words. But Paul's message didn't come through words only, but also in power. Now, what exactly this power looks like, we don't know for sure. 
But we do know from Romans 15, 18, that signs and wonders often accompanied the proclamation of the gospel. They accredited the proclamation of the gospel. They gave weight and credence to it. But this power shouldn't be unduly separated from the Holy Spirit. He is the one who brings conviction from sin. You see that in Acts 2. He is the one who brings regeneration. We see that in Titus 3. He, the Holy Spirit, works through the preaching of the word. And that brings us to the last piece of evidence in this series. Paul preached to the Thessalonians with full conviction. Meaning that he preached with assurance. He knew that there was power in the gospel. Not in himself, in the gospel. And he had unshakable confidence in the ultimate triumph of the gospel. And here now is the effect of them being chosen. At the end of verse 5, we read, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul is submitting his own and his colleagues' character as the proof of their message. These Thessalonians then became imitators of Paul and of those who were with him. So what did this imitation look like? Well, they received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Friends, that is faith powerfully delivered. God chose them with the effect that in the midst of their affliction, they would receive the word. One commentator wrote this with regards to the affliction. It denotes not mild discomfort, but great and sore difficulty. It's intense pressure. We don't often see this kind of intense pressure when we think about the gospel being received in our culture. But it still happens in many parts of the world. When a Muslim or a Hindu comes to faith in Christ, they're ostracized by their family. They're rejected by their friends. They're labeled as an infidel amongst those in the broader society. In the midst of that type of affliction, a huge riot, remember, was started in the city because of people coming to faith in Christ. Because of that type of affliction, even within that intense pressure, these Thessalonians received the word with joy. I hope you're seeing that this is supernatural. This type of God-produced joy is powerfully delivered as God chooses people and empowers them through his spirit to receive the word with joy. We don't muster up this kind of faith. God, in his mercy, grants it. In fact, elsewhere, Paul uses the language of us being dead 
in our trespasses and sins. It's as if we're already out at sea and we're already drowned. No medical assistance, no resuscitation is going to come to our rescue. But God in his power doesn't need a pulse. He doesn't need a defibrillator to bring us to life. God in his power draws us out of the water and in his kindness gives us new life. This is what God does in the life of every believer. In Philippians 2, speaking of salvation, we read that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If you haven't turned away from sin, if you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus for salvation, you are spiritually dead in the water. If you hear my voice, you are hearing today that Jesus went to the cross, suffered its shame, died the death that we deserved, rose again from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave. He reigns victorious now and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Trust in Christ to pull you out of the water. Won't you trust him? God produced faith is powerfully delivered. If you are a Christian, you have been rescued. God has pulled you out of the water and he gets all the credit. I pray that you would take time to marvel. That you would remember that God didn't need to save anyone. The fact that in his kindness he chose to save some of the Israelites, that is mercy. That he would even consider saving Gentiles is beyond wonderful. And I look around this room and I see that he has saved many of you Gentiles even here. We've seen that stunning God-produced faith is powerfully delivered. Now we consider the third stunning aspect of faith in our text, that God-produced faith is publicly displayed. Follow as I read verses 7 through 10. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith is gone, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. God produced faith is publicly displayed. By receiving the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit, the Thessalonians have become an example to all the believers in Achaia and in Macedonia. Their faith was publicly displayed such that people were hearing about them and what God had done in Thessalonica and were noting their example of faith, even from far away. Now, 
I think for a moment, thinking about how far away is actually really helpful. Corinth was one of the biggest cities in central Achaia. And Thessalonica was one of the biggest cities in central Macedonia. Paul's in Corinth when he's hearing from Timothy. That's about 294 miles away. Think here in Naples, Florida to Gainesville. But the word of the Lord was sounding forth primarily by word of mouth. Remember, this is pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-email. It's verbal proclamation. It's hearing from individuals that would have been the way that the message of God and what he was doing in Thessalonica would have been transmitted. Now, let me very roughly modernize this for us because to walk 294 miles, if you're walking approximately eight hours a day, that's 12 days. Now, they had ships as well, but most of us, our most common mode of transportation, not legs, it's a car. If you drove for 12 days, you would get to Anchorage, Alaska and part way back. Relatively, this is a large area of rugged terrain. And when it says all throughout that region, it's not just city center to city center. That was where the gospel was being shared, but it was going out from there into the surrounding region, which is further than even that. People are hearing the gospel. They're hearing about the supernatural faith that God produced in the Thessalonians and that empowers them with joy in the midst of suffering. When Paul says your faith has gone forth everywhere, he's using a figure of speech. He means all throughout that region. And look at verse nine. He says, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had. When he says they themselves, he's likely referring to people, merchants that would have been traveling from Thessalonica down to Corinth and around that area. These secondhand witnesses, they've been hearing about what Paul and his colleagues were doing up in Thessalonica, how they were received, and then the evidence of the faith that was produced in the Thessalonians and how it was moving forth. Now, these secondhand witnesses would have been amazed at the gospel being received with joy, particularly because of the persecution that they were facing. But the Thessalonians had abandoned their false gods and were choosing rather to to live and to serve the living and true God. And they were waiting for the Son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The Thessalonians were committed to serving God and were waiting in expectation for Jesus' return. Most of, us, most of us don't look forward to judgment day. We kind of get nervous about it. But if you know that you have been declared righteous by God, you've been declared not guilty because you've placed your faith in Jesus, Man, going into that courtroom and hearing not guilty that you already knew was coming and hearing well done, good and faithful servant enter into my rest, that's a good day. The news of the spreading of the gospel and the testimony of the faith of the Thessalonians was publicly dispersed. 
two days ago, 17 million Americans and British citizens tuned in to watch the U.S. tie England in their World Cup group stage match. How many of you guys watched the game? Hands up. About 20 people. How many of you guys heard that England tied the USA in this match? Hands up. About twice as many. The news of an individual game, especially the final games in the World Cup, will spread around the world like wildfire. Five billion people are expected to tune into the World Cup this year. But even if you didn't watch the game, you maybe heard about it. And you can share the basic information that you heard from someone else. That is what is happening with the Thessalonians as the news about what God has done among them is going forth. And that, church family, is what we should long for here. That people wouldn't be impressed by our building or by our programs, but that our church would be known for its faith. The faith that God has supernaturally produced in us. Man, I pray that we would be known as people that are determined to share the gospel. As people that do that winsomely in the face of opposition. I pray that we ourselves would be stunned by the supernatural work that we see that God has done in us. To that end, we end where we begin. We could go on looking for the next mountaintop experience, hoping that our hearts will be fulfilled at long last. But I love the way that one Christian songwriter put it. Only you, referring to God, only you can quench our insatiable hearts. In this text, Paul helps us see that God produced faith. It's stunning. Just looking around this room, my heart is amazed. My heart is encouraged by ordinary stories of faithful Christian lives. I see people that, by God's grace, are proclaiming the gospel to their friends and their coworkers, that are doing outreach through sports, for instance that are witnessing to their unbelieving neighbors and inviting them into their homes. I see people that no longer live like they used to live. Their lives look different to the outside world. And their lives look different from how they used to look. Hearing your testimonies, seeing some of you be baptized, seeing what the Lord has done in your lives, man, that brings me so much joy. I see a whole bunch of people whose lives, whose godly lives are filled with faith and love and hope, who display God's work in each of you publicly and personally. Friends, we don't have to look very far to be stunned. Your breath could be taken away right now as you reflect on the faith that God has authored and produced in people sitting in this room. As you reflect on what Jesus has done in providing rescue. Let's close our time with a song of thanksgiving and let me draw your attention to the lyrics of the final verse. Musicians, if you can come forward at this time.
The last verse of the song we're just about to sing reads as follows. So spirit come, put strength in every stride. Give grace for every hurdle. That we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant, good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of his grace. We hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Amen.